0: So Joshua twenty four, brother Jim read the end of the text. Some of the most famous words. One of the most. Some of the most famous words in the Bible. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We're going to look at that tonight, and in in, uh, in this passage here. But uh, you know, life is a series of choices, right? Choices, choices, choices. And I got thinking about some choices that we have. And I, you know, I don't you know. What about this? And you can answer vanilla or chocolate. All right, good. Vanilla. Um, strawberries or blackberries? Strawberries. Oh, really? Do you know strawberries are in the rose family? The roses? Yeah. That's what I was told, anyway. It sounds, I'll have to Google that. I'll probably be wrong. Yeah. So, a lot of strawberries. I mean, I, I'm surprised. All right, here we go. White American or provolone? Provolone. All right, all right, yeah. All right, all right here we go. Now it's getting better. Ford or Chevrolet? All right, all right. Very good. This is going to divide the crowd down now. Sorry, ladies. I I can't wait to see the ladies that answer to this one. Springfield Armory, XDS-45, or a Sig Sauer P365? Sig. Yes. How many ladies had a choice there? You want an XDS-45 or the Sig? Who wants the Sig? How many ladies are going, what are you talking about? All right, we're talking about guns. Right. Bang, bang. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Steinway or Yamaha? Anybody play the piano beside me? No? I wouldn't. Okay, Yamaha's a good piano, though, but Steinway, that's a good choice. No, watch what you're doing. You're making choices. All right, ladies, I've got one for you. Le Crusade or Cuisinart? Oh. Le Cruset or Cuisinart. Oh really? Okay, interesting. Interesting. All right. No, what? I, listen, life's about choices, isn't it? You had a lot of choices here. Lake say is a they make pans and pots and stuff like that. They're usually what are they? They're cast iron coated in porcelain or what? Enamel or something like that. Yeah, they're they're and they're like three hundred pounds, really heavy. They're they're wonderful weapons. Luster craft. That's right. Five ply. Okay. There we, see choices. We've got choices, yeah. Do you know the easiest choices are when there's fewer choices to make? <laughs> All right. You can go to the Mexican restaurant and say, I'll take number 174, which is really just like 173, 2, 1, you know, it's the 167. looks a lot like choice number twelve twenty seven, and choice number 284. They just mix a couple things around, right? But sometimes you open that, dude, you're like, what on earth? You, I mean, y'all have tacos? You got tacos? That'd be easy, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, you, I mean, you might go to the, Or what about that? You can go to Five Guys and you can get a burger with cheese. There you go. That's, that's easier, isn't it? It's like, I'll take a hamburger or a cheeseburger. Sometimes choices are easier to make. They always are easier to make, almost always easier to make, when there are fewer choices to make. And you know what? We might not always like to make choices but it is easier to make them when there are less, less choices there in the hopper. It's a little easier, easier to do that. So, in our text tonight, Joshua is going to bring Israel to a choice, and I want to look at this tonight, um, and we're going to see how it applies to us in the year two thousand twenty-one. How this applies to us, but if you look in verses one through fourteen, Joshua twenty-four, where you see here that Joshua, he's already getting close to dying. Chapter twenty-three and verse one, the Bible says that Joshua was uh, waxing old; he he was going up in years; he was getting towards the end of his life. And in chapter twenty-three, the last time we met Joshua, he has already met with the elders of Israel. He's charged the elders; he got all the leaders out here. And he charged them to come out from among the nations that remained in the land. Remember, they had driven out a lot of the inhabitants, but there is still a lot left behind. And Joshua, before he passed off the scene, he wanted them to know: don't stop driving these out. don't Don't stop pushing them out. We looked at that message a while back about you know pulling uh, pulling up and not cutting off. And we're talking about weeds in our life. And we don't want to just cut them off. We want to pull them up out of the ground. And this came back really to hurt Israel later because they weren't pulling them up out of the ground. They were just cutting them off at level. And you know, when you get weeds cut, if you just cut a yard, you mow a yard, it can be full of dandelions, right? And you can cut that yard. It looks pretty good at the ground. It's like, yeah, hey, it's looking pretty nice. And then I, it's like, what, about four hours? You can watch them. They pop back up. I'm like, there they all are again. All of a sudden, your yard looks bad again, right? So you want to pull them up out of the ground. And he said, don't stop doing this. And I, This this isn't really in the message, but I think this is a great application in our own life. We never come to the end of our life when we we cease pulling up weeds out of our life. Why? Because the moment you get one up, you're going to find another one. And then you get that one up and you find that another one. My aunt Diane, she said, we grew up and all we knew was work and so... We would have to pick dandelions. And when there was never and when we got to the place years later that there weren't dandelions, they didn't even come up anymore. We had to go up and we had to go pull up horse thistles. Then when the thistles were gone, we had to pick rock. And when there was there's was never a time when you're done picking rock. And there's still piles out there. But it just it never stops. It never ends. You may come to the end of one of your sins and get great victory over it. And what God's going to show you? Well, here's now we're going to work on this one you go, oh, there we go. Let's work on it. It's never going to end, folks. And this is what Joshua was telling Israel. Don't stop doing this. He charged them, don't marry any of the inhabitants of the land. Don't take to you marriages. Why? Because it will just make you one flesh. You will be unequally yoked together, as the Bible says. And uh, they'll t- take your heart. Solomon didn't take that advice, did he? And so he charges them not to marry any of the inhabitants of the land. Drive them out of the land And he reminded them that everything God had promised them that had come to pass, that he had done it. And if they would do their part, God would do his part and he'd drive them out of the land. So now in chapter 24, Joshua has called in all of Israel and he's called them all together and he's called them to go to Shechem. Now Shechem is a very uh, interesting place and it has huge significance here. If you remember this, it was Shechem, which was, well, right here, it's the center of Israel. So number one, I believe he, one, one of the good choices for this is it was easy to get to for everybody. It was kind of centrally located. Eventually they're going to uh, one of the, uh, uh, the uh, mm, cities of refuge is going to be placed here at Shechem, kind of right in the middle. But even kind of neater than that is this was the first stop of Abraham, when he came into Canaan, right? He left the Ur of the Chaldees and he came in. God led him to this area of Canaan. He came in and it's the first place that Abraham built an altar at Canaan. Jacob also built an altar here at Shechem. I mean, there's a lot of history right here in the lineage of Israel. Jacob's well is there even today. And this is where God commanded Joshua to read the law when they got into the land the first time remember they said on the two mountains where you had ephraim and um, and you uh, know uh, gerizim and Ebal, Ebal and Gerizim. And on one side, they shouted out the, the, what they weren't supposed to do. And on the other side, they shouted out of the law what they were supposed to do. Very fascinating here at Shechem. It's actually here at Shechem, if I'm not mistaken, where Jesus met that Samaritan, that, that woman, I'm sorry, that woman at the well. And she said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And Jacob's well is here to this day. And Jesus said, you worship, you know not what. Yeah. This is where they are. Shechem. They called, he called all of Israel together here at Shechem, and it had a huge role in the life of Israel. And now Joshua is going to remind them of their history and Egyptian bondage. So let's read the first few verses here in 24. Listen to what it says in verse 1. You can follow along. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau. And I gave to Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. So now if you note here, Joshua is reminding them of their history in Egyptian history. Bondage. He's reminding them, listen to me, of their humble beginnings. Abraham, to go out into a place where he knew not. You know, some of you wives love it when your husbands make decisions, don't you? <laughs> Could you imagine being Sarah? Where are we going? I don't know. Yeah. Where are we going to live? Tent. Where? I don't know. We'll know when we get there. Boy, she, she lived by faith, didn't she? Absolutely. And, but this was some humble beginnings. It was just Abraham and Sarah and God leading him. That's all it was. And, and here in verses 4 and 5, we get a little bit of the history that they eventually went down into Egypt. And you, you know here, we, we notice here that God had to send Moses. God had to send Moses to go get them out of Egypt. God had to send him down there. Why? Because they were in bondage. Because they couldn't get themselves out of Egypt. They needed somebody to help them get out of Egypt. Are you following this here? Right? Sounds kind of like us, doesn't it? God had to send the Lord Jesus Christ, right? To get us out of the bondage that we could not get out on our own. Some humble beginnings, right? You know, there's not much to brag about when you need rescued. Does anybody go around, I mean, uh, in this human world and say, well, how'd you get to the place, you know, how'd you get here? Well, I didn't. Somebody rescued me, you know. No, what does people say? Well, I pulled up my bootstraps and I made it by myself, right? That's what they like to say, don't they? Nobody likes to say they've been rescued to get where they were. I knew a man, a great, great guy, really enjoyed him, Owned owned a bunch of property, down through uh, south of Aurora, over up north of Aurora, I had probably three, 4,000 acres all through Lawrence and Berry County he owned. Humble, humble man. I really enjoyed him. And something came up. He was one of the founders of Stone County Bank. Most of his money went into Stone County Bank. Just a farmer. If you saw him, you wouldn't have thought a thing about him. A lot of money. A lot of money. You know what's the first thing he'd tell you? I inherited it from my granddaddy. Pretty humble man. Not many say that. I mean, don't get me wrong. He did well with it, <laughs> right? He didn't. He didn't waste it away. But no, that's not you. Listen, when somebody has to be rescued, when somebody has to be helped, the 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 idea here is that we were insufficient to do it ourselves. This is humble beginnings. Humble beginnings. And so, look at verses six through thirteen. Now, Joshua is going to remind Israel of the mighty works of God that got them out of the land that they were living in and got them to the land that they were living in to this day. Let's read the events here. It's a, it's, a, it's a history lesson going on. Look what he says. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. that's not really good odds when you're on foot and they're on chariots and horses. Not good odds. Okay, And when they cried unto the Lord and put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea unto them and covered them and your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt and you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. Forty years. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still. And so I delivered you out of his hand. Verse 11. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornets before you, which strayed them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites. But not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. God said, I did it. You didn't do it. I did it. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor and cities which ye built not and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and all yards which ye planted not do ye eat. God did it. They reminded, listen, Joshua is reminding Israel, God is reminding Israel of their humble beginnings and where they are to this day is only because of do you know I think it's a great practice for us to look back at our life and be reminded of where we were, where we started out, and where we have come to, and where God has brought us. Do you know there are people that have been saved out of addiction and they don't deal with that anymore. Glory to God. Do you know there are people that have been saved and came out of a place of their life of, of just upheaval and turmoil in their homes and marital issues and they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and those things don't, don't hold them anymore like they used to. Do you know there's people that were in complete bondage? Every one of us in here were in complete bondage to sin and to self and all of us, all of us in here have been brought from death unto life. You know, it's a good thing to look back at that, isn't it? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember where you were when God began to draw you to Himself? And you look back now and you think, it is only the grace of God that I am where I am. Hallelujah. I love what David said in the 40th Psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit out of the miry clay. And that's not all. He set my feet upon a rock and He established my goings. Yeah. This is what God does. And Joshua has reminded Israel of their destitution. He's reminded Israel of their defeat and the defeated life they were in. And then then He went and reminded them of their deliverer. What a great thing to do. We need to do it probably more to just take a little bit of time and reflect back where we were when the Lord found us. Some say, well, I came to the Lord at a very young age. Maybe you need to look around and see where you could have been if he hadn't. So I want you to notice here Joshua's charge. Israel was at one of the greatest places in their relationship with God. This is really a pinnacle in their in their existence right now. I mean, they're in the land where God wants them. They've been driving out the inhabitants. There's still more work to be done. But essentially right now, they're in a good, pretty good place. And they've just subdued most of the land, right? And so here before Joshua passed away, he wanted to bring Israel to a, a crossroad in their life. He wanted to bring them to a crossroad of decision to a place where they had to say yes or no. He said, you're, you're, you're going you're to you're make a decision today. Today you're going to make that decision. I mean, this, this really is what comes at the end of every message, of every preaching message. We're left with a decision. We're going to say yes or or we're going to say no when the Word of God is presented. But Joshua here is bringing Israel to this place. Here they are at Shechem. They're all gathered together. There's probably, what, a couple million of them maybe here sitting, standing here at Shechem, possibly uh, listening to Joshua. And he puts the choice on the table. Look at verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Alright? Here's your choice, Israel. God. God. The one who found you. The one who delivered you. The one who defends you. The one who provides for you. The one who loves you. You are either going to choose God... Right? And if you do, well, you know what know that's going to entail? Right? You're going to put away the, gods, the the other gods of Egypt. Right? Do you see this? You can't serve both. You can't, you can't do both. You can't serve God and mamma. Notice also there's still some residual idolatry left over from Egypt. There had to have been because he's told them to, you know, to put these gods away. Put them away. There's still some stuff left over. Boy, I began thinking about our own personal life when we come to Christ. If you would, if you uh, want to, you can turn over to James chapter 1. You don't have to. I'll read this for you. But James chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. James said this, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own Joshua is talking about the residual. Joshua is talking about the leftover. Joshua is talking about the idolatry and, and, and the ungodliness that came with them out of Egypt that might have been still hanging on a little bit. Maybe not in the outward, but maybe in the heart. And I want you to notice here in James chapter 1, verse 20, there is a word here, there is a phrase here, I like this, superfluity, of naughtiness. Isn't that a great term? That makes you sound smart. Well that's a bunch of superfluity of naughtiness, right? Don't you sound intelligent? <laughs> what does superfluity mean? What'd you say? Beats me. Oh. no, it doesn't mean beats me. Yeah. Superfluity, something is superfluous and superfluity. Superfluity means excess. It means left over Do you see what James is saying here? Lay apart all filthiness and leftover of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. The excess, the leftover. You know, when we come into our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? we come with leftover behaviors. We come over with excess... uh, I love this word. Naughtiness. This, this filth of the flesh. This old lifestyle. The old habits. We come into this life of Jesus, with Jesus Christ this way. And listen, some of you in this room have not been in Christ very long. A year? Two years? That's a wonderful thing. And we are well aware of leftovers of our past that are still reigning in our flesh at times. Uh, my cousin called me today. She lives in St. Louis. I won't say her name, and she was just telling me, and uh, she's a believer, and she was just telling me today of her problem with her neighbor, and she says, Derek, I cannot believe what I said to him. I cannot believe how I reacted, how angry I was, and I just went home, and I thought, what did I just say? <laughs> you know, and And... They're, I mean, they live in a in an interesting area, and there's some real, there's a lot of fear going on there because of where they live. And uh, I said, uh, "Hey," I almost said her name. I said, "Hey, that is uh, that is that is the flesh. It's just what's in our flesh. It's there." Saying, and and sometimes we get put in the right situation, and it's amazing what's still there. And you walk away from sometimes being discouraged. Sometimes can't believe I can't believe I said that. Can't believe I acted like that. I can't believe I ran over that cat willingly. I just can't believe I did that. There's some superflu- that Maybe that's... No, that's not superfluous. That's just necessary sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Leftover. Leftovers of the flesh, right? Old habits. Some of you have been in Christ for a long time. And there's still some things that are left over in your life as well. Yeah. And so we're and we're all to be active daily. I mean, we're I'm kind of making a little bit of personal application here from what Joshua is saying. But we're all supposed to be active daily, removing the leftover of the sins and the filthiness of the flesh. You say, well, how, how do we do that? Well, you do the Word. Well, what did he say? Be not hearers of the Word, but hearers only. Be doers of the Word. Let me get it right. Be doers of the Word and not... Hearers only. What happens when we don't do the word? Well, it goes on to say deception. We deceive ourselves. We begin to layer upon ourselves layer after layer after layer of self-deception. It's very dangerous to not do the word. It's dangerous to ourselves. And so we need to do the word we need to get rid of that superfluity of naughtiness. We need to be constantly active of ridding ourselves of living the life of living the word of God and uh, removing those things out of our life. This is what Joshua was telling them here. You are going to choose who you are going to serve, and if you are going to serve God, this stuff has to go. It's got to be done if your life. And then notice what he says here in verse fifteen. And if you think it's evil to serve the Lord, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Isn't that interesting? If you think this is a bad thing, do you see what Joshua is going to do here? He's not going to let them ride the fence. He's not going to let them just kind of hang out and play the game. He's not going to allow them to do that. Joshua was not going to allow a fence-straddling compromiser to infect the rest of the nation. He just said, listen... If you think it's evil to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Make up your mind today. If you have a problem with it, just decide. If you're against it, just do something else. But look what he says. You're going to make a choice today. Yes or no. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Notice this word, choose. Choose. Two choices. Isn't this easy? There's no maybe here. We can't do maybe. Joshua didn't give them the option of maybe. Yes or no. I love this word ye. Let me tell you something. Ye, the, I know they think they're archaic words. These are translated words. These are singular and plural. Ye is plural. He was talking to all of them. Makes it real clear who the audience is. Listen, choose choose ye. Every one of them had to make the choice. Nobody's exempt. Nobody's exempt. Choose ye this day, whom you will serve. And I like this. This day, this day, not tomorrow. Not go go home and pray about it. Seriously, they've had forty years wandering around. Some of them, a couple of them, right. They've had plenty of, they've seen plenty of miracles. They've just got the history report. They just went back and looked how it all happened. They've got plenty of history and plenty of information to make the decision today. And I'm telling you in this room tonight, we have plenty of information to make our decision today. We don't need to pray about it. We don't need to, to seek counsel about it. Paul said, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. When God called him into the ministry, when God called him into salvation, he didn't have to run to some man to say, what do you think about this? He said, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. He said, I just, I just did what God told me to do, <laughs> right? And so this day, choose ye, this day whom ye will serve. Listen to me, like it or not, we all serve someone. You say, I don't know. I don't answer to nobody. Let me use the vernacular of the day. Whatever. Whatever. That's, oh, that's how you say it. Whatever. I don't know if I said it right. Whatever. And I just said that. Our kids were never allowed to say that. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was just illustration, ministerially speaking. You serve somebody, folks you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve yourself. And actually, you're not serving yourself. You're serving Satan. Other gods. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served are on the other side of the flood, other gods, or you're going to serve Jehovah God the one who brought you to where you are today. This is why it's so important sometimes to look back where He brought us from and who it was and look at the miracles in our life and the, the things that God intersected in our life and the times that He's delivered us and the times that He's brought us out, the times that He's answered prayer and made things so known to us and and, and so undeniable, we know that the only way it could have happened was God. Boy, it's a good thing to do that. Why? Because some sometimes we've got to come to choices, don't we? Am I going to serve God? We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about serving God. Am I going to serve Him? Or am I going to serve the gods of this world? Now, I love this about Joshua. This is what I think is is one of the characteristics of Joshua that made him so great. He said, whatever your choice is, let me read it exactly. In, uh, In verse 15. But as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. I love that. Joshua, you know what Joshua was saying? I don't care what you choose. You're going to choose, but I don't really... I mean, he cares, don't get me wrong. But their choice is not affecting his choice. Let me say this lovingly. Do you know how many homes have children that have made bad choices? And their parents have made bad choices because their children made bad choices. No, watch the choices of their children affected their choices. To serve, the parents' choice to serve God. Do you realize what Joshua is doing here? Whether you choose to serve God, whether you choose choose to serve the gods of this world, it has no effect on me. I'm going to continue to serve God. It's not wayward children that's always the problem. It's parents who allow wayward children to affect their life and their walk with God. Yeah, they have a free will, folks. And yes, we all have responsibility. Absolutely, we do. But at the end of it, they answer to God. And you need to just figure out whether you're going to serve God with or without them. It'll liberate you, it'll help you. Yes, it will. Joshua says, whatever your choice is, I'm going to serve the Lord. I like this, he said, me and my house. Now hold on a minute, Joshua's about to die. So he's he's, he's pretty much saying the rest of his life, which that's kind of, maybe it's easy at that time to say, thankfully he has a history of serving God from the very beginning, him and Caleb especially. That he's going to spend the rest of his life serving God. And he he said, but my house? What's he referring to? The ones who are going to stay behind. Do you think all of his house is going to die when he dies? No, no, no. There, there's going to be some that saying, what, what, what are we seeing here? Obviously, they had already made a choice because he wasn't going to be around to make them serve God. Now, I know what some can say. That Some could say, well, what he is saying here is, as the head of my house, I don't care. Bubba, you're going to serve God with me. Well, maybe there's some implication of that. Maybe. But he's making a statement here. It's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. I think they already came to that conclusion. Right. Yeah, They're going to serve God. It's a powerful lesson. Powerful lesson for us as parents. Just continue to serve God. Regardless of how life turns out. Regardless of the decisions our children make. Regardless of any of that. Serve God. Serve God. This is what Joshua did. He served God. Now. Now's the time to meddle. How much time do I have? Oh, it's time's moving on. I'll cut this short. So who are you going to serve tonight? No, you. Ye. You. You say, well... I didn't know I was going to have to make a decision. Well, sure you are. Like I said, we make decisions every time we come to the Word of God. Who we're going to serve. Who are you going to serve? Watch this. I didn't say who, you know, saved or lost, who do you belong to? Joshua was talking to the saved. He was talking to those that were saved. They had to choose who they were going to serve. See, I'm not talking to the saved about salvation tonight. I'm talking to those who are saved who are going to have to choose. There's only two choices, right? You're either going to serve the God of this world or you're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, let, let me give you the definition for serve. You wouldn't think you would need this, right? But I like definitions. I like how it, the little parentheses, the brackets, it starts out. It says this verb is supposed to is supposed to be from the noun servus, a servant or slave and from this servo to keep. Now, serve just means to work for, to bestow the labor of body and mind, to bestow the labor of body and mind in the employment of another. I mean, we get that. But to serve someone, listen to this. Think about this. To serve someone is to aid them in accomplishing their agenda. You go to your job, right? I know you're getting paid, but you're still serving to accomplish the agenda of that company. You know what happens when you begin to serve your own agenda at that company? You go find a new company, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So, what is the agenda of the world? Well, itself. Ultimately, it's Satan, it's his agenda, right? Watch, we are serving the gods of this world when our actions assist in the accomplishment of their agenda. Let me say that again. I got a little stuff going on out there. We are serving the gods of this world when our actions assist in accomplishing the agenda of the world. Does that make sense? Some of you are looking confused. Did I word that weird? Let me give you some examples because I can tell I'm going to have to. <laughs> Ungodly entertainment. I told you I was going to meddle. Ungodly entertainment advances worldly and godless philosophies. And it's possible for us to serve that. Why? Because we begin to aid and abet the agenda of the world. Two times God told Israel, um, i got to remember how he words this, but two times God, God told, told Israel that uh, you've strengthened the hands of the wicked, that they will not repent. Boy, I, I read that a few times, and I thought, boy, this is a Pandora's box. This is a can of worms, because you begin to think of the implication of that, and I begin to ask my que- myself the question: How how is it that I that I strengthen the hands of the wicked so they won't repent? How, how do we do that? I begin to. I mean, I, I, I wanted to know: How do I do that? And I've said this before here. I think. Do you think Hollywood will ever repent when Christians buy everything they have? <laughs> yeah, that quenched the spirit. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying whether we enjoy movies or not. Of course we do. I'm not talking about that. But realistically, we have to ask ourselves: who are we serving? I mean, there's. I'm talking about ungodly. I'm not talking about godly entertainment. I'm talking about ungodly entertainment. There's a difference there. They advance worldly and godless philosophies. Man, I've screamed. You know how many years I've screamed at Disney? I can't stand Disney. I can't stand them. Magic magic the occult oh no it's it's made like cartoons so it's cute right we don't think about the danger of it all the disobedience the 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 uh, no respect for authority parents are stupid parents are dumb yeah i mean it goes on a magic witchcraft homosexuality oh i got to read you this listen, listen to this was um, this this was not from a, a, a separatist, fundamental, Baptist, uh, uh, hating website, okay? This was from Answers in Genesis, all right? A little calmer, a little milder, right? He said, they quoted this, in the honor of Pride Month, which was June 2020, this is what this are talking about, Disney has introduced its first homosexual lead character, according to the Christian Post. Disney Pixar released the short, it's a short, whatever, movie, Out, O-U-T, Out last month on Disney Plus, dot. No, that's period. Disney Plus. Whatever that is. It is the first time the main character of a Disney show is depicted as gay while presenting a coming out as a practicing homosexual story. Beauty and the Beast. Let's just set aside bestiality. You're like, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. I guess from what I've read in the new one, in the new one, you have the guy, i to write it down, Gaston, who struggles with being a sodomite. This isn't a new one. No, they are normalizing deviant, wicked behavior. I don't hate, I don't hate homosexuals. We should never hate homosexuals. I'm not, I mean, we're not going down that road. They need Christ. They need to be saved. They need the gospel. They need to be loved to Jesus. I understand that. But we as believers cannot serve that agenda. Right. It shouldn't have any place in our life and in our homes and things like that. Ungodly entertainment. Ungodly music. I mean, I can go right down the list. M- music that ministers to the flesh. Music that doesn't minister to the Spirit. That doesn't minister godliness. That doesn't minister to the Word of God. Ungodly, uh, let me add this to the list, ungodly, quote, Christian music. No such thing as Christian rock. No such thing as Christian contemporary well, there is Christian contemporary, but there's no such thing. You can't add Christian to that word and have that be a biblical definition. The lyrics are unbiblical. Many times, the music itself, the the the, the beats and the rhythms and the and, and the uh, the, the, uh, the 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 heavy syncopation, it just feeds the flesh. It feeds the flesh. There's actually been scientific studies done on it rock music and dogs. They put a bunch of dogs in a room, play different types of music and watch them react to it. Yeah, our flesh reacts as well. This is ungodliness. It really is. Yeah. Ungodly music. Oh, I, I was traveling the other... <clears throat> whenever I'm traveling. I was traveling and uh, I was in a... either a store where I was working or a restaurant and I couldn't help but hear this song called My Church. Don't anybody, if you know this, I'm sorry for you. I had to go look it up. This is what the girl says in her song. I've cussed on a Sunday. I've cheated and I've lied. I've fallen down from grace a few too many times, but I find holy redemption. Oh, sound sounded good. Okay. When I put this car in drive, roll down the windows and turn up the dial. Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? Feels like the Holy Ghost running through you when I play the Highway FM I find my soul revival singing every single verse. Yeah, I guess that's my church. It is your church. Wasn't Jesus' church, though. <laughs> A little different. Yeah. Ungodliness. I, I get subjected to all these stories. A lot of them are just country music that they play over and over. And I've sat there and I thought, this is the stupidest song in the world. Some of the lyrics are Dumb. Just ignorant, dumb, you know? And uh, anyway, anyway, yeah. No, we can, no, watch. We allow these things in our life. You know what we're doing? We're serving them. We are serving them. Why? Because we are assisting in the accomplishment of their agenda. Yeah. I I don't have to spend time on alcohol and drugs in this group, I don't believe. I I don't think we have that problem of, of, of people tipping back and taking drugs and things like that shouldn't mark the life of a believer ever. Can you believe we're having debates now among the Calvinist crowd? Boy, they're a bunch of drinkers now. They just think they've had this liberty in Christ and they can drink alcohol, sad thing. Uh, 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 Sproul, R.C. Sproul's son, eventually ended up in jail over it. He's an alcoholic. It's sad. With all of their liberty to drink, they forgot of how much power it has over their flesh. I'm going to warn you. It's going downhill. Yeah. We're serving. How do you? Who are we serving tonight? Who are we serving? Yeah. Clothing that identifies with the world and not with God. Oh, yeah. You. I was going to mark it out. Okay. I, I it. Go ahead. Yeah. yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? You know what I told Brother Kurtman the other night? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? I thought I said, well, isn't it ironic when Bruce Jenner wanted to become a woman? First thing he did was become obedient to Deuteronomy 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He put on a dress and he drew his hair out long. Isn't that interesting? I, I just think it's, it's, it's uncanny, isn't it? That he wanted to be a woman, so he started looking like one. Isn't that, isn't that weird? No, it's nature, creation. God made us that way. Different. Yeah. We glorify... No. We we glorify... Listen folks. We glorify God in our gender. What does glorify mean? We put on display the, His attributes. And we glor- We glorify God in our gender. He made them male and female. And you know what? I think of all people on the planet, I think Christians should have a pretty good grip on this that we should look like men and women. Right? No, men should look like men and women should look like women. Ah, you got to clarify. Yeah, Yeah. I had a pastor tell me, "Well, you know, we don't get onto that stuff because we just we just want these kids in here, and, and we don't get onto that stuff." And I, you know, I, that's you can do whatever you want. That's fine. That's fine. I said, uh, "So how do you think we got to where we are today? Gender dysphoria, kids don't know whether they're girls or boys. Yeah, where do you think? No, watch. That doesn't just start. It's a pro, it's progressive. It has to start small somewhere." when we spend our money on things that are unbiblical, we are serving the God of this world. I have a hard time believing a Christian should be buying lottery tickets with God's money. It's all His. On chance? No, God told you to work. He told you to labor. He told you to work by the sweat of your brow. Hey, listen, investing in the stock market, you can turn that into gambling too. There's a difference between doing research and putting your money in a good company. Yeah, my aunt and uncle have a, probably a pretty good portfolio. And uh, their uh, uh, Edward Jones guy will call and say, hey, you want to put some money in this place? And they'll say, well, what do they do? We're not doing anything with alcohol. We're not doing anything with marijuana. We're not doing anything. We're not investing in the company. that de- I mean, they, have, they, have, they want to make sure there's not ungodliness they're investing in. Yeah, that's good that's good investing. When we spend our money on things that are ungodly, watch, we are serving the gods of this world. Alcohol. Yeah. Music. Yeah. I go on and on. I think I think you got a good idea where where we're going here. But watch this not only do we serve God with our body, but we serve God with our mind. You can say you. You you might say, "Hey, I don't do any of these things personally. I've never. I've never got a tattoo, and I've never, you know, pierced my tongue to the top of my forehead. I've never done this. I've never done that. I've never. I've never done all of these. I've never had a had a had a drop of liquor in my mouth. I never have. Well, glory to God. Wonderful. That's great. But when you allow these things into your mind and your heart, you're still serving them. Jesus said, in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven: thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. With all thy mind. You see this? Our, our minds should be set aside to serve God. Why? Well, because when it sits there long enough, it affects the heart. When it sits there long enough, it affects the actions. Romans 7.25, Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There's only two choices. If you're going to serve God, it's not you can't serve Him in the flesh. So you're going to serve Him, it begins in the mind. And then that will eventually affect how you serve Him in body. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, pull them up, get them ready to work, get ready to fight, Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready with it. I tell you, if you have a lazy mind, you have a lazy mind, it's going to get you. The Bible says we're to take into captivity every thought, every thought, we're to take into captivity and, and, and take it into the captivity of Jesus Christ. Every thought that sets itself up against be every thought that sets itself up against uh, the authority, I think it says, or the power of Jesus Christ. I'll have to look that one up now when I get home. <laughs> yeah. Taking every thought. We take them into captivity. What's that What's that mean? When a thought comes in your mind that's not right, what you know what I do? Father, I plead the blood of Jesus on that thought. Would you just delete that? You need to take that into captivity. It's a lot of work, folks. You know what? We're told to gird up our mind. Why? You don't have a lazy mind. Be vigilant against your mind. Be vigilant uh, with it. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Look at this. And a sound mind. A whole mind. Thank the Lord for that. It's possible. Your thoughts, your ideas, your beliefs, when they are in agreement with those things that are in disagreement with God, hey, you're serving them. You're serving other gods. Some people say, well, I don't do that, but I don't have a problem with somebody who does. Right? You're serving them. You're serving the gods of this world. You're not serving the God of the Bible. And the things of this world that we allow to stay in our mind will eventually lead to affecting our actions. Listen to what Bob Jones said. But behind every tragedy of human character lies a long process of wicked thinking. Hmm. Jesus said, in Matthew 6, no man can serve two masters for he, for either he will, he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, the God of money. You can't serve two gods. It's not possible. It's not possible. We're talking about serving God. Serving God. So, who are you serving tonight? Are there any residues of the gods of this world and the gods of your past that are still in your life? Any leftovers? Any leftover sin you're practicing? You you know what we need tonight? What we need tonight is a generation of Christians who will just rise up and just say, you know what, as for me in my house, we're we're just going to serve God. We're just going to serve the Lord. I don't care what the world does. I don't care how crazy it gets. Hey, wait, wait, wait. I don't care what other independent fundamental quote, Baptist churches do. I don't care what they do. I don't care which way they go. I don't care which way the, the preacher who's preached for 50 years and now he's a compromiser. I don't care where they go. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God. Yeah. Who's going to Who's going to be the one that will just drive a stake into the ground and make a pledge and just say, we're going to serve God? The world needs it, friend. Absolutely, they need to see it. They need to see it, and uh, your children need to see it as well, and your grandchildren, and your neighbors, and your fellow church members. Do you know how encouraging it is in a in a body in a church when there are plenty within that body just serving God? What an encouragement it is those that may be young in the Lord and are struggling in the Lord and are going through down times and valleys in their life to look around and just see some people that just keep serving God. They just don't change. They just don't move. They just stay steady. It's encouragement, isn't it? We are to bear one another's burdens. Maybe that's a wonderful way to bear a burden. We need some people who will just serve God regardless. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit tonight, put your finger on anything in our life that we are serving that is of this world, of the gods of this world. Lord, I rattled off a list of things that are easy to rattle off. These are kind of the go-to, the maybe the little... Some may call a hobby horse things, but there's a myriad of other things in our individual lives that could be a holdover and a residual of the old life that we are serving. Maybe little things we don't even realize, but you're going to put a finger on them tonight and I just pray that you'd help us uh, to say yes tonight. And to respond and choose tonight, God, that we are just going to serve you. So, Father, would you help us tonight? We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight.